and, and the rest of the crew. And thank you guys working the sound up there and the audio video stuff for getting that, uh, that worked out. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Maybe a bit of a surprise to you. Um, we're not going to go back to Acts quite yet. Uh, I don't know when. I'm not sure. I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to kind of help me in figuring that out. And so we're going to be here this week. And next week, I'm really thinking that we're going to go to the ending of Jude, Jude 24 and 25. Uh, but for today is Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. And the reason is I concluded last week by just expressing my thanksgiving uh, for the church, that I thank God for you all. You mean so much to me. Um, I love you. I love our partnership. I love caring for your souls. Um, and the, the circumstances of, of, of our, our, our day, this time that we're in, have only revealed a deepening of that for me. And I hope it has for you as well. And so I just want to express my thanksgiving for the church and do that in a way, hopefully, where the gospel is clear and God is glorified. And so I'm using a text from Paul, Colossians 1, 3 through 8. I'll get you up to speed here just briefly. I don't want to spend a ton of time background here, but Paul went on a three-year journey that took him to Ephesus. Ephesus is uh, fairly close to Colossae. That's the city where the Colossians live. Um, while Paul was preaching, most likely in Ephesus, uh, a guy named Epaphras came and heard the gospel. And then when he had to go home, he went back home to Colossae and he began to share the good news of Jesus. And what happened through this work is that a church started in Colossae because of Paul's ministry. And Epaphras became sort of an extension of the work that Paul had done in Ephesus. That's where we get this letter. And now the letter is written, the whole letter, Colossians, is written really to counter the teachings that were threatening the church. Most likely, it's not a big deal for today, most likely it was uh, uh, Judaizers that were telling people you had to observe uh, laws, you know, rituals, uh, things of that nature in order to really be a true Christian. But then on the other side, you had the Gnostics, and they were, you know, they were trying to uh, tell you that the things that you did in your life practically didn't matter that much as long as you had faith in Jesus because they taught that everything physical was automatically sinful. So it didn't even matter what you did. So this kind of lawlessness is both sides, right? It is, it is extreme law keeping to the detriment of faith and is lawlessness to the detriment of faith. These are the things that Paul wrote to them to counter. Now, I'm going to read just the beginning of the letter up until verse 8. Maybe verse 9, it might help us. So join with me from the word Colossians 1, 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, 
because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does also among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. His prayer continues, uh, but I want to get you that, that context there. Now let's pray and we'll continue. Father, it's, it's our great pleasure to open the word to view Christ. So give us the eyes of faith that we would see him, that we would be transformed. And as this happens, that all the other cares of this world and the things that catch our attention, our eyes, the things that want to dominate every moment of our lives, those things would become unimportant. They would become so blurry and distant so that we would not even desire to see them anymore. Let us see Christ with crystal clarity this morning. We love you. We pray it in his name. Amen. Title this morning, Thanksgiving for the church. Uh, a bit of an introduction on verse 3 here. Uh, we'll sort of lay the foundation for the remainder of the verses. So the the focus really is verse 4 to verse 7-ish, but uh, verse 3, it tells us what he's doing. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, Paul has done this in other letters. He, he explicitly states Trinitarian realities because as he is one who has come to understand the Lord Jesus and the, and the salvation that comes through him, he has learned the reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he now places uh, those truths at the beginning of nearly every one of his letters. We thank the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He also says, we always thank God when we pray for you. So the assumption here is twofold, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. You get the idea. I think it's easy to understand. The assumption is twofold. Number one, that praying happens often. Regularity. He is, verse 9, he says, we don't cease to pray for you. Now, that doesn't mean that he's like constantly saying prayers to God about this church, but what it means is they're always on the list. Probably more morning, like afternoon and evening prayers would be the habit for Paul. And so he's mentioning Colossae, every time he comes to the throne of God. So praying is happening often. But secondly, that he's always thanking God for them. Before we can begin to give thanks for Christ's church and his work in her, we can't jump over the realization that prayer, faithful prayer, regular prayer is taking place. And so I would ask you, before we go any further... And I'll tell you, like, I'm the first one that's convicted about this. 
Like, I make it a point to pray for you all, to pray for you all by name. And you know what we've done? Members of Cedarview, we've put a directory in your hands so that you can look at faces and you can look at names and you can pray for people. We have up until recently distributed that list of people. You probably still have a, that little bookmark in your Bible or your notebook where you can pray for people by name. And so I'm going to ask you, if, if we're thankful for the church, is that reflected in the way that you pray for the church? Are you literally going to the throne of God and saying, God, I'm so thankful for these people? That's what Paul is doing. He doesn't just do this with Colossae. He does this with other churches as well. It is his habit. Is it our habit? Now, I really think, I really think that in our current situation, maybe one just sliver of God's gracious response to all this is that we recognize our great need to thank God for one another again. There's a passage in Lamentations that has been coming to mind, and I mentioned it on Wednesday, but the the lamenter is like, man, people know about all the affliction that I'm enduring, and he says, there's no one to comfort me. I don't even know what that's like. There's no one to comfort me. I've never experienced that as a Christian. You know why? Because I've been surrounded by the saints. And you know, from day one, the outset of our current affliction, day one, I was surrounded by the brothers. I was surrounded by you folks. And I'm, I'm surrounded by so many. And I know you are too in prayer. Do you realize how many people have contacted me recently and said, I'm lifting your church up in prayer? Text after text after text. We love y'all. We're thankful for y'all. I know you don't know us well, but this is what we're praying. So, folks, I would encourage you just at this outset, before we even really get into the meat of this, let's develop that habit. If you need a notebook, you need a, a accountability partner, whatever it is, something where you can sort of log the way that you have taken your brothers and sisters before the throne of God and said, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for these, these folks. This is what Paul does here. He gives thanks. And we're going to talk about what he gives thanks for in the remainder of these verses. But I'll give you this theme, and it's probably inconsequential, honestly, Here's the theme. God laid the church's sure foundation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our response today is that we would give thanks to God for his church and its sure foundation. Let's give thanks to God for, its, for his church and its sure foundation. This is what Paul does here. Paul gives thanks to God for this local church. So we want to give thanks thanksgiving we want to give thanks <laughs> we want to give thanks number one for gospel fruit gospel fruit in some sense today i think we're we're um i'm attempting to remind you and myself of very basic things 
Uh, I feel like this is what I need. Uh, I hope that you can hear this today and, and, and be comforted by the work that the Lord has done in us. Leading up to these days and in these days and the work that he undoubtedly will continue to do. But Paul is like, I'm giving thanks for this gospel fruit. So this letter comes from men who've received ample correspondence. So Paul, Timothy, ample correspondence concerning these saints in Colossae. And that correspondence is happening through Epaphras. You see that in verses 7 and 8. And Paul mentions right here three fruits, if I can say it that way, three fruits, so to speak, faith, love, and hope. You ought to know this is a familiar trio to Paul. In 1 Corinthians, main, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. That's what he said to the Corinthians. That's what they needed in their time. And also to the Thessalonians, he says, we remember before God your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we read here that Paul has heard of these things in verses 4 and 5. He's heard of these qualities in this church here in Colossae, and he frames the trio just a little bit differently. We'll cover that. We'll get, we'll get there. It has to do with hope, but let's talk about these three. First off, the first fruit, faith. We're thanking God for your faith in Jesus Christ. I know it seems uh, um, uh, maybe too elementary, but what if you sat down before God and said, I thank God for the faith that these saints have in Jesus. My brothers and sisters, I'm so thankful. That's what you need to pray, right? I'm so thankful, God, for my brothers and sisters' faith in Jesus Christ. We're thanking God for your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we, we often hear about faith in our day, in our, our uh, sort of post-Christian, maybe new age, uh, maybe even therapeutic self-help kind of days. We often hear about faith having power or doing work on its own, but it does not. You know, imagining things or speaking things into existence is not real. Don't pretend your faith is strong without considering where it is placed. Faith, and this is where I think our culture gets it wrong, faith is not sincerity. You understand that you can be as sincere as you want, but you can be sincerely wrong. Faith has everything to do with its object. Faith without a worthy object or recipient is an anchor rope with no anchor at the end. Faith towards something unreliable is a wall with no foundation. And that's what Jesus said, didn't he, about the man who built his house on the sand? Sure, he could boast about how well he built this wall, but the question is, what is it standing on? And that man believing it was strong was exposed because it had no worthy foundation. In fact, Jesus spoke about faith the size of a mustard seed. You know it. He said that faith that is this size can move mountains. How? 
not because it is a big faith, but because of where it is placed. So folks, the only, the only faith that stands is a faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says explicitly here. The only reliable recipient of faith is Jesus. He is the only sure foundation. He's the only steady anchor. He's our only rock and refuge. And I'm thankful today that your faith church is directed toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Recent days have revealed that. I mean, can I just tell you as a pastor, the fact that you showed up last Sunday, the fact that you're here today, oh, it gives me such confidence. Because I know, I know that that faith is the faith that, man, it, it comes from God himself. It is, it is a gift of his grace. So faith, first fruit. Second fruit, he says, love. Love. Love that you have for all the saints. We're thanking God, he says, for the love that you have for all the saints. This agape love is the love that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. It's a love that results from receiving God's love. We love because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. This is love toward all the saints, and not just a feeling toward those people next to you or a disposition toward them. We are not those folks, okay? Saints, we are not those folks that say to one another, I love you, but I don't like you, right? We're not those people. No, this is not some Christian formality like, oh, yeah, I love these people because I'm supposed to. No, it is Christian action between the saints. It is a, it is a visible, tangible, measurable love, and it is felt by its recipients. It is seen by its participants. It's observed by the outside world. I'm thankful to God this morning that this has been the case among us. There is an indiscriminate love that has made its home among the saints at Cedarview and really even between our sister churches. We saw that expression last week. And you know what? The world watches. The world watches. You know what I love about these promises that we have from the scripture, we can kind of see where we, we lose a little bit of faith in these promises because we start thinking things that simply are not the case. You know what Jesus said? Well, he didn't say that the world would know us by how good we look. He didn't say that the world would know us by how we keep from messing up. No. He said, they'll know us by our love for one another. And the fact is, we don't have anything to hide. We can't put up a front. We are so affected by sin that we 
who truly believe, we confess it, we hate our sin, we run from it, we repent of it, and we dare not repeat the pattern of the garden, grabbing fig leaves and hoping that no one notices just how exposed we are. The world will see that we're broken. You know it. You know it. They'll see your brokenness. They'll see our brokenness. And we need to be okay with that. And then we need to love one another with a gospel love, a healing love, a restorative love, a love that the world cannot fathom. They simply don't understand it. It's intriguing to them. But it's the kind of love doesn't just identify us, it also shows that the Lord Jesus, John 17, came from the Father. That the love that we have is otherworldly. And no matter what they may say about us, they will know. They will know something true about Christ, that he is from the Father, and something true about us, that we belong to him. Paul says this is a kind of Love you have. You have this faith. You have this love. And then thirdly, he says, we're thanking God because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, here's where the trio is different. Faith, love, and hope. Faith and love in the way that Paul writes this are in some sense hinged on hope. And I don't know if this is... uh, particular to Colossae, the idea, the idea here is that without Christian hope, there is no legitimacy to our faith or our love. I hope that makes sense to you. N.T. Wright suggests here that hope, hope in and of itself, true, lasting, living hope, he suggests that that was a penetrating concept for the Colossians as Epaphras came back and shared this hope with them the hope of the gospel. It is that living hope of the resurrected Lord Jesus. He is the one, the resurrected Lord Jesus that that gave that wind to their faith and gave fire to their love. Do you see how that hope works? If we have a risen Lord Jesus, then we have the fuel we need to believe the promises of scripture and then love one another deeply. So, folks, we consider our current circumstances, and there is, there is no way, there is no way that we'd be willing to keep on loving one another and striving in faith side by side if we didn't have the hope that God will right all wrongs and redeem all struggles. So, do you have that kind of hope? If your hope was man, I can come here and just get some good friends and maybe learn a little bit about the Bible. That's the kind of hope that will, that will cause you to abandon your love for the rest of us and abandon the faith that we have built together. But if the hope is set on the risen Lord Jesus, then there is nothing that will prevent us from pressing on together and pressing in together. Hope means that we don't have all the answers now. That we only have a foretaste of what is to come. And so 
Dunn writes here, I think this is written so well, but pay attention. It's not, it's not super easy to grasp. He writes, this hope readily gathers to itself the richer sense of something held in reserve for someone or some occasion as a destiny. What he's saying is there is an anticipation that fuels us. It's an, it's an expectation that drives us. It's an assurance that propels us forward together as a people. So that hope laid up for you in heaven, in some sense, has a little bit with us right now. We could almost say it like this. We don't, we don't have uh, all of the full experience with, with no barriers of Christ that we will have one day, but we have Christ. You know, Ephesians talks about the Holy Spirit being uh, somewhat of a down payment for what will be. Now, I don't know what it looks like to live uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit in ways where sin has completely left my life, but I know a hint of what that will be like. And so it's hope that drives us. It's hope. It pushes us forward. Without that hope, your faith and your love, they'll be empty of what you need to keep going. So Paul is thanking God for these gospel fruits. Yeah, I'm so thankful that we have these fruits, we can look to this fruit in the wake of painful circumstances, knowing that God means it for good. God works all these things for good. And God finishes the work that he starts. Man, that's my hope. Secondly, gospel roots. He's thanking God for gospel fruit and then for gospel roots. So you're kind of getting the, the imagery here that I'm using. I'm borrowing from Paul for my points. It's the idea of, of something growing. You see the faith. You see the love. You see the hope. And, and now he's pushing us a, a deeper. He wants to go below that. And I'll point ahead to show how Paul uses this. We have used it for our, our built, our Wednesday night stuff. We've used it here. Look in chapter 2 if you've got your Bible. He says in verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you are taught, abounding in what? Thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving. So Paul is using the same imagery right here. So we're inspecting the fruit, so to speak, faith, love, hope. Now let's see where it came from. 
to use a different illustration for some of you folks, maybe it will help. Like, I see that nice car, right? Let's pop the hood and see what's driving it. What's the engine in this thing? What motor does it have? I see what it can do. I see the faith, the love, the hope. Now, what produces that? That's what Paul is saying here. It's those gospel roots. It's roots in the gospel. The short answer is the gospel. What's producing it? The gospel. So I've kind of given your answer in your main points today. But here's how the gospel took root in you. Here's the gospel roots that, that we ought to be so thankful for. He recounts this to them. He says, first off, let's just start with the gospel, the simple answer. The roots are the gospel. He calls it the word of truth. He also calls it the grace of God in truth. I want to remind you the gospel is the good news. That's how he refers to it in this passage. It is an announcement. It is a proclamation It is content that needs no addition. It needs no dressing up. So you understand, when he talks about the announcement of the gospel, it is simply the fact of Christ's perfect life, his death and resurrection. If you have the ability to communicate that, then you have the ability to communicate exactly what God uses to save people from their sin. Romans 1. It is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. And so Paul right here is saying, there's nothing of this that is wrapped up in the way that it's communicated. And we get so hung up on how we communicate the gospel. Friends, let's remember that the power of the gospel resides in the gospel, not in you and not in me. It's a message that needs to be heralded. That's all. It contains power in itself to bring new life and salvation. There's no need of persuasion or passion. Isn't that ironic? But Matt, you're so passionate. Well, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I just can't do anything else. <laughs> I get up here and uh, fumble through my words and, and hoping that God will use his gospel to do some miraculous work. Oh, my goodness. It's just the truth of Jesus Christ that needs to be unleashed. His life, his death, his resurrection. He says, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, the good news. So it's the gospel, but he says, it's the gospel heard. You heard. Two times he said, you heard this gospel. Now, uh, simple, simple stuff here. Uh, Really, I don't even think I need to remind you, saints, but Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. You heard it. Can we say it once more? Isaiah 55, 11, God's word will not return void, but will, it will accomplish all he intended it to do. We must never forget this. And we think about our hearing the gospel. Saints, hear. 
You heard the gospel one day and it did its work in you, saving you. It's still doing its work in you, sanctifying you. So here's the thanksgiving that we can offer to God today that you have heard the gospel, saints, Cedarview, you have heard it. So it's the gospel heard, but it's the gospel heard and understood. He says that in verse uh, 6, the latter part of verse 6. Since the day you heard it, that's the second time he says heard, and then understood the grace of God and truth. So, so that we're not mistaken, the gospel doesn't just come to us and sort of zap us if we're, as if we're just like impersonal uh, or uninvolved subjects in the matter. It's not like, and sometimes we communicate the gospel in that way to emphasize the, the work of God, the sovereignty of God in the way that salvation takes place. Yet the gospel came to you and it didn't just kidnap you. No, you actually heard and you understood. We understand it. We comprehend it. The writer of Hebrews speaks to something like this. Hebrews 4, 2. He says, the good news came to us just as to others, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And that word is probably better comprehended. Those who comprehended. So there are a lot of people that hear the gospel. There are some people that do not understand it, that do not comprehend it. And so Paul is giving thanks here because they heard the gospel and they understood it. It reaches us. It reaches to our mind's intellect. It reaches to our heart's affections and our soul's essence. And then our our eyes are opened to see Christ's many treasures as he is our endless treasure. The gospel heard and understood. And then finally, the gospel heard and understood. He gives thanks for these things. But he also gives thanks that it happens through human agency. He says, verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras. Sometimes we need reminding that God ordains not only the end of things, but also the means of things. So understand, he doesn't just just ordain the destination, he ordains how we got there. He appoints the salvation, but he also appoints the preacher of the message of salvation. If you want to go back to Romans 10, You know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, and all that happens on the heels of what he just said, which was, man, how are they going to hear if they don't have a preacher? How are they going to have a preacher if no one is sent? So God ordains the means by which 
These people have heard the gospel. So God had his hand on Epaphras. We've been walking through Acts and looking at the way God orchestrates all these things. And Epaphras is in Ephesus. And here's the gospel. And now, not by any intention of Paul himself, but Epaphras goes back home and sees a church planted. And so we acknowledge how God ordains the means. He appoints the preacher of the message of salvation as well. In their case, it was Epaphras. Thankfully, Epaphras was a faithful minister on Paul's behalf, on their behalf as well, as he mentions there. I'm sure you can recall the faithful people in your life that taught you the word. Maybe, maybe review those. Faithful people that have taught you the word. If you can't name somebody like that in your life, then look around. Because God has put them there for you. But these people are the ones who were faithful to expound on the word, to share the gospel, to communicate the goodness of God to us. What shall we say of those Christians or those ministers that have let you down? Maybe I can ask you some rhetorical questions. Realizing that like in some way. I've been your pastor almost almost all of you, most of you. I've been your pastor for better than eight and a half years now. And I can, I can assure you that if I have not let you down in some way, that I definitely will. I am going to disappoint you. And you must reckon with that now. Only by God's grace, let not be something just unbearable. But I will let you down. Man will let you down. I may refer you to the the first point. In whom is your faith placed? Now you ought to be able to trust your leaders, and that's why we grieve. But even when they fail, faith in Jesus Christ is fully supported. He will never fail. Isn't that what we sang last week? He'll never fail. So rhetorical questions, or maybe your thoughts. Is the truth any less true because they said it? 
Is salvation any less secure because of their agency? Is God any less gracious because he chose to use them as the Holy Spirit visited you in your salvation? We say to all these, all these questions, no, God is true. God is faithful. Salvation is secure because our faith is in Jesus Christ. So may we, may we not be shaken by the chaos of this life, but may we, church, hold fast to the gospel, to Christ, our anchor, to Christ, our rock, to Christ, our fortress. There's gospel fruit. There's gospel root. Our reactions to our current situations may be revealing some areas where we need believers, where we need to renew our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Areas where we need to recommit ourselves to the love for all the saints and then to recover to grab hold of that living hope that is in Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. And so the question as we respond today, would you do that? Would you renew that faith? Would you recommit to that love for the saints? Would you lay hold of the hope of Christ? And then maybe there are those who you know the gospel has not gotten a hold of you. Christ has not yet saved you. You know this because of your lack of assurance. You know this because maybe you're living and you have been living with some kind of false assurance. And the question as we respond today, would you come to him, Jesus, in repentance and faith and finally experience the forgiveness of sins, the freedom from that bondage? He's the only one that can give you the, the assurance that you are longing for. He's the only one that can seal up all of those weaknesses, the glaring weaknesses that you have come to realize. And now you're realizing you just don't have him. There's no foundation for those who have no Christ. But for those who do, God has laid that sure foundation. And so today I give thanks to God. I give thanks to God for the way that he has worked in you, for the way that he continues to work in you, for the way that you have ministered to me, supported me, hopefully the ways that you have been supported and ministered to by one another. Can we respond now with the help of the Holy Spirit as we sing? What are we singing? Only trust him. Let's pray.